Well, it wasn't long ago, I was actually uh, mowing the grass at the house, and somebody who was a guest, or not a guest, rather, a neighbor, actually stopped by and uh, wanted to have a conversation with me. So we began to chat. I was actually teaching on parenting at that particular time, and so he began to talk to me about how he didn't really want to have children. So I said, well, tell me why you don't want to have kids. He said, well, to be honest with you, Levi, the culture that we live in today, man, I, I don't want to raise a kid and then put that kid out here in this terrible culture. And I can kind of understand where he's coming from, but the Lord brought a text of Scripture to my mind that I shared with him on that day, and it's found in Psalm 127. And that particular text says that like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. And so I shared that with him. I said, you know, the bottom line is every single child that you have is a gift from God. But at the same time, that child is an arrow that you are sharpening and preparing to shoot out into the culture to actually push back the darkness. So I told him about how we had four kids. He was already aware of that. But I said, you know, the Lord's given me the opportunity to shoot four arrows out into the culture, to push back the enemy and his work. So I want to make sure that I'm sharpening all four of my children in such a way that they are prepared to go out and to make an impact and a difference. I remember uh, he basically said to me, I never thought about it really that way. And then, next thing I know, they came, they joined our church, and they had a baby about two years ago. Amen? And uh, just awesome to see how the Lord's working in people's lives. But what I want to do this morning is talk to parents. And if you're here today and you're not a parent, let me talk to you if you're one day going to become a parent. And then if you're a grandparent here this morning, you're thinking, well, I've already kind of done my time and already raised children. Well, I want you to know that God wants to use you in our fellowship. God wants to use you as grandparents to help us as regular parents to know how to make wise decisions when it comes to raising our children. And the interesting thing is that is exactly what Paul the Apostle does. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 6, and if you're a guest of ours, we're going through this particular letter verse by verse. So go ahead and open your Bible to Ephesians 6 this morning. Paul the Apostle, what he does is he talks to us about how we can live in such a way as parents to sharpen our children so that they are sent out to make an impact in the culture. So Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. You got your Bibles there? Say amen. Go ahead and stand with me in honor of God's word this morning. Notice what the Bible says. Now, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you so much for our time uh, in the word this morning. We thank you, Lord. We've already been encouraged through worship. And then even through the video, God, as parents, we're reminded that uh, our children are watching. We want to make sure that they are seeing in us, not individuals who just talk about Jesus, but individuals who are seeking to actually live that life out. And so I pray for the parents of Concord, just ask in Jesus' name that you place your hand on them and you would genuinely use your word today to transform perhaps how they're parenting. And God, I believe that this particular uh, chapter and verses really do they hold the potential to change how we look at parenting and take advantage of the short time that we really do have with our children and God we want to make sure that we're intentional with that and so God speak to hearts as you see fit and then I pray you would also just encourage those who are present today who may one day be parents and Lord they need to go ahead and learn some biblical truth that will help them and then Father I pray for relationships in our 
body here, that grandparents indeed will be investing in parents, making an impact for all of eternity. And that's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. So you go ahead and be seated this morning. We're going to talk about how to sharpen our children. Or better yet, we'll just ask the key question, what does this text teach us about parenting? So a few things I want to encourage you to jot down this morning. Go ahead and jot down this first principle. Children, learn how to obey God by learning how to obey their parents. Children learn how to obey God by obeying their parents. It's true. You know, the Bible teaches us that God puts certain authority structures in our lives. And as we submit to those authority structures, we are giving evidence that we really love God. And for the children in the house, did you know God gave you your parents as a gift, and they are an authority structure in your life. So as you, as a child, submit to the authority of your parents, you're giving evidence that you are submitting to the authority of God. At the same time, for children, if you really want to worship the Lord in the home, one of the ways that you worship the Lord Jesus Christ is by being obedient to what your parents actually ask you to do. Now, I would love to have been a fly on the wall whenever they read the letter uh, to the Ephesian church. Because, and no doubt, like many of you, they came to church. Maybe some of them have some children who are kind of a little bit sideways. And so they would have taken this letter and they would have began to read this letter. And as they read the letter, think about what these parents would have felt in their hearts when they heard Ephesians chapter 6 in verse 1. Look at it again. The Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, if they were parents there and their child was kind of sideways, they probably would have been like, praise the Lord. Can I get a witness? Keep on reading. But the bottom line is, here in the text, there is this challenge for children to be obedient to their parents. Now, there are other texts in the scripture that actually encourage obedience to parents. We find many of them back in the book of Proverbs. Uh, Listen to this particular verse. The Bible says, The eye that mocks the father and the eye that scorns the mother, the ravens of the valley will pluck out that eye and the eagles will eat it. Can I get a witness on that verse? That's literally in the Bible. Now, what does this mean? Well, the eye that uh, mocks the father, it means the eye that ridicules dad. The eye that scorns the mother, that's the individual who is disrespectful to their mom. Uh, The Bible says ravens will pluck out their eyes and then the young eagles will eat it. And uh, ravens are these massive, black, glossy birds with huge claws that look something like this. And the imagery here is that if you are disobedient to your parents, it will not go well for you. And isn't that true? I love what D.L. Moody once said. He says, I've lived more than 60 years. And here's one thing that I've observed and know for certain. No man or woman who dishonors his mother or father ever prospers in life. So think about that. As children, when you disobey your parents, you are actually bringing detriment to your own life. And so the scripture here talks about these ravens. I think about that, right? I've never seen a raven come down and pluck out a kid's eye. Have you seen this before? I've seen some kids I'd love for a raven to pluck his eye out, but I've never seen the raven. So I'm reading the Bible and I'm like, is this true? I mean, does this really happen? Well, the principle is there. The principle is encouraging children to be obedient to their parents or it just won't go well for them. So what I would encourage you to do if you're a parent here today is every single night, regardless of how old your child is, is that you would read that proverb to your child right before they go to bed. And then you turn out the light. 
And then you go outside of the room and shut the door. And then you take your fingernails and you begin to scratch the door. Just as a way to say, you better do what I tell you to do. And then if they are still disobedient, you jump on their bed, throw out your arms, and you begin to go, and you act like you're about to get their eyeballs. I heard that for the first time. That was funny, wasn't it? But anyway, so uh, the encouragement here is indeed for obedience. And there's a promise associated with children being obedient to the Lord. Look at verses 2 and 3 in your Bible. The Scripture says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. So here the word honor just really does. It means respect. So respect your parents. And as you respect the authority of your parents, you're actually giving evidence that you respect the authority of the Lord. And there is a promise associated with this. What Paul is doing here is he's pointing back to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 gives us a list of the Ten Commandments. One of those commandments is that children are to be obedient to the Lord. And the promise with that commandment is that if you are obedient to the Lord, you will live a long life. And so that's the promise. And Paul kind of hearkens that and brings it to the forefront of those there in the church at Ephesus. And really what's happening here is that he is reminding them that as they are obedient to the Lord, they will actually escape a good deal of sin. They, as children, will escape a good deal of danger, and also they could avoid things that potentially would threaten their lives. And so there's that encouragement right there in the Scripture. Solomon also writes in Proverbs 6 and verse 20, he says, My son, observe the commandment of your father, and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. So it is so true. Children ultimately learn how to obey God by first learning how to obey their parents. Now, that means for you and I as parents, we have this awesome privilege to prepare our children to walk in obedience to the Lord. And we do that by making sure that we are making sure that they are obedient to what we ask them to do. So whenever you're training your child up in a way that they would honor the Lord, you're actually preparing them to live a life of worship to God. Now, I've said this many times, and I want to say it again, but worship, really, the foundation of genuine worship is submission. See, when you submit to God, that is your worship. And if God gave parents as authority structures over the life of the child, whenever they submit to the authority structure that they can see, they are simultaneously learning how to submit to God, his authority, which they cannot see. Now, this bears itself out in all authority structures. If you have a child who is disobedient to a teacher in school, then ultimately the bottom line is that child is in rebellion even to God because God gave that teacher authority over that student. And then at the same time, you as parents, if you are disobedient to government, that is ultimately being disobedient to God because God set that standard of government up as authority. So as you submit to authority, you're giving evidence that you are walking in harmony with the Lord. So as parents, and I think this is your heart just as it is mine, we want to make sure that our children are walking in harmony with the Lord. So that means we take the responsibility to train them to be obedient to the Lord 
every single day of their lives. Which leads me basically to the second truth this morning I want to share with you. And that is if you want to sharpen your kid, uh, you got to make sure that you don't annoy your kid. You don't annoy your kid. Now, this is an awesome verse, Proverbs chapter 4, or rather Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Notice what the scripture says. The Bible says, fathers, do not provoke your children to, what's your Bible say? Say it out loud. All right, it's anger. I'll tell you the answer, and let's do it again. Y'all with me? Say amen. All right, so the Bible says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't provoke them to anger. Now, first of all, notice he calls out the fathers. Now, for me as a dad, what does this do? This reminds me that it is not my role to kind of farm out raising the children to their mother. This is a priority in my life as a father. So fathers are seen as the leader of the home. So as a leader, I have to, alongside my wife, make sure that I'm seeking to raise my children to walk with the Lord. So this is a massive encouragement to all fathers. But I also thought to myself as I was putting the message together that we would come into this room and there would be single moms in the house. How would they basically take that verse? How would they look at that and say, well, you know, my their father's out of the door. I mean, he left us, and it's just me and the kids. So what am I supposed to do? Well, let me encourage you as mothers this morning, especially those of you who are single mothers. If there is no dad in the home, let me remind you that you have a heavenly father in the home. Amen? And so God understands your situation and predicament, and God does not write you off and assume you can't raise children in a way that honors him. What God will do instead of backing away from you is roll up his sleeves and get right to where you are so that he might empower and equip you to do the job of raising children, even if you do it seemingly all by yourself. And isn't it true for every follower of Jesus? There's never a time in our lives when we can say that we are all by ourselves because we are not. God is with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this scripture here in Ephesians 6 and verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, what does the word provoke mean? It's an awesome word in the Greek New Testament. It means to aggravate. It also means to goad. Have you ever goaded your children before? I'm not real sure what that even means, but I think it'd be fun. Can I get a witness on that? And, uh, but that's the idea, that you are goading your child. You are aggravating your child. You are ultimately annoying your child. And as a result of the way you're seeking to raise them, you can drive them to become very bitter and angry towards you and ultimately even towards the Lord. So as I was studying this, I began to ask a very simple question. What are things that parents do that annoy their children? And as I was working on that particular uh, answer, I narrowed the answer down to 10 things. Y'all with me on this? So how do we make sure we don't annoy our children? Let me give you a 10, and I got to give them to you quickly. So jot them down there in your listening guide as well. First of all, we annoy our kids by being overcritical. That means we find something wrong with every single thing that our child does. So your young child may come to you and give you a sheet of paper where they've colored something for you. And you say, oh my goodness, that looks good. But you went way out of the lines over here. You're supposed to stay inside the lines. Yeah, that's overcritical. Or maybe your child shows up. They've got all A's on their report card but one C. And all you focus on is the C. What is your problem here? Listen, that's being overcritical and not celebrating where they actually have strengths. So you've got to be very careful. If you're overcritical, you'll drive your child to anger. A second way is that you uh, annoy your child is that you make fun of them. 
Uh, this is basically calling them names, downgrading them, putting them down. You know, God convicted me of this as a dad not long ago with my children. It's because I would uh, make fun of my children. I'd call them names to their face. And uh, I honestly just thought I was kidding around and joking around, but the Lord's like, you need to stop doing that. And so no longer do I call my children dipsticks. Are y'all with me on this? And no longer, because that doesn't encourage them. And how many uh, individuals who have grown up through a house, they went out into the workforce, and the same statement that their father said to them, which downgraded them, plays over and over in their minds. Man, I don't want that for my kids. I know you don't want that for your kids. So don't annoy them by making fun of them. Another way is that you are emotionally absent. You're emotionally absent. So you're always too busy uh, living life and not paying attention to your children. Now, you can be in the room where they are, but if you are emotionally absent, it means that although you are present, you're not really engaged in their lives. Now, as a dad, I don't want to live this way. There are times in my life where I see this to be true. So I've got to be very confident that I don't allow myself to be emotionally absent, kind of caught off guard, not paying real genuine attention to them. Because ultimately, if I do this, it's going to drive them to anger. It's going to also drive them even to bitterness. And then a fourth way is this, and that is you annoy your kids by never admitting when you are wrong. Now, bottom line is parents mess up. Uh, matter of fact, let me just ask this. Did your parents mess up when they raised you? Can I get a witness say yes if they did? If they're sitting next to you, don't say a word, right? But yes, yes, so they made mistakes. Now, you're going to make mistakes just like I make mistakes. Krista makes mistakes in raising our children. But we have to be very cognizant of the fact whenever we actually make a mistake that we pull our child to the side and we admit whenever we are wrong. For example, if you discipline your child in anger and you were just ticked off at what happened, maybe they embarrassed you in a restaurant and you went nuts. Listen, that's not the best way to discipline. As a matter of fact, you should be very calm whenever you discipline your child. But if you did this and you were wrong, the encouragement is that you would go to your child, sit them down and say, listen, I overreacted. I need you to forgive me. If you never admit that you're wrong as a parent, then you hold basically the potential to drive your child to anger. Now, I've got my oldest son in here this morning, and he's probably thinking, Levi, you've, or dad, he calls me dad, uh, dad, uh, you've never admitted when you were wrong with me. That's because I've yet to be wrong. But anyway, so that was a joke. All right, so anyway. Another way that uh, we can annoy our kids is by over-disciplining them, by over-disciplining them, giving them much more than what is actually necessary. This is where you're always looking for an opportunity to punish, always looking for an opportunity to get to them. Well, that's over-discipline. Here's another way we can annoy our children is inconsistent discipline. So we get on to them one day for doing a certain thing. The next day, we let it slide. The following day, we get on to them for doing that exact same thing, but then the next day, we kind of let it slide. So we're very inconsistent. What it does is it actually confuses the child. They're not real sure if they can or if they can't. They begin to try to gauge your emotional status before they make a move because they know basically you are reacting instead of being proactive as a parent. So we want to be very careful, though, that we do not have inconsistent discipline. And then also we can actually uh, cause our children to be annoyed if we show favoritism. 
That is just elevating one over the other. Now, at our house, we do some crazy things. So it's me, Krista, and the four children all sitting around eating supper one night. And uh, what I did is I basically said, okay, kids, I want to ask you a question. Who do you love more, me or your mama? Right? Y'all with me on this? This is because I really love them. But anyway, so I, I and are y'all all right? Y'all act like I got a problem. I'm just joking with them. And so we're just playing and messing around. And I look at Maddie. She sits to my left. I'm like, girl, if you don't tell me now, I'm going to take food off of your plate. She says, can you start with my green beans? Crazy girl, she was that quick too, man. But anyway, the deal is this. I want to make sure as a parent, Krista as well, that we don't elevate one of the four to the exclusion of the others. If we do that, we can actually drive a wedge in our relationship with them. And ultimately, again, we can drive them to become very bitter and anger. So we don't want to annoy our children by showing favoritism. Here's another way. Uh, we show favoritism, or rather we cause our children to become annoyed whenever we are overprotective. Protective, overprotective. This describes uh, the helicopter mom and dad. Have y'all seen these individuals before? If not, just go to any preschool and you will see them. They are real. And overprotective parents, do y'all see what I'm doing? This is a helicopter. I know it doesn't look like one, but trust me, I can't spin around, okay? So anyway, this is, a, and so they protect, they're so, they don't want their kid to face any suffering, face any difficulty in life, so they're with them every, it's like they wrap them in shrink wrap, and they're with them everywhere they go, and their kid can do no wrong. If they're at school and they get in trouble, it wasn't that kid's fault, it was the parent's fault. If they were also at school and they got bad grades, it wasn't the kid's fault. It was actually the teacher's fault. So they're overprotective. And then as a result of being overprotective, they do not allow their kid to see any wrong. They begin to stand up and fight battles that they don't even need to fight. I remember when I was in middle school, we used to get conduct reports in school along with our grades. So our grades would come on one side of the sheet. The conduct would come on the other side of the sheet. There were really about two grades you could get primarily in conduct. One was S for satisfactory. One was NI for needs improvement. So in middle school, I got my report card and opened it up and looked at it. And on conduct, all the way down the line, I had all of these NIs. I know that's shocking to you. Needs improvement. And I thought, I'm going to get it when I get home. So I go and I show it to my parents, and they begin to look at it. My mom kind of goes, what is happening in these classes? What are you doing? And I said, Mom, literally, I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I'm talking a little bit. I'm hanging out and cutting up. But I'm not being a great. I don't know why I'm getting these horrible grades. She's like, you better straighten it up before the next report card comes. The next one came. And guess what? It was the same. Needs improvement. I mean, I got behavioral problems, apparently. And so my mom looks at it, and then my mom says this. As I begin to try to defend myself, she says, no, uh I will go and talk to every one of your teachers. And so she did. She had a conference with every single teacher that I had. She went in there not to argue my case. She went in there to find out exactly what I was doing so she could punish me rightly. Crazy woman. <laughs> and there she was asking what was going on. And I remember she tells me the story now that they began to look and say, oh, we love Levi. He is so much fun in class. And then she says, well, why do you keep giving him needs improvement in conduct? They said, oh, oh, I don't know. He just cuts up, makes everybody laugh. It's just so much fun with him. Are y'all listening? For the first time in my life, 
I was right at home as a child. It was the parents or the teacher's fault. Or can y'all get a witness on this? I mean, I, I'm just trying to help y'all see it from my perspective is what I'm doing, right? No, no. What I realized in my mom on this particular day is that she would not take my place. She would not argue on my behalf. She would not stand up because there was an authority structure in my life that she was teaching me that I had to submit to. And if my conduct needed improvement, it better improve. Or she would get me, and Daddy would too. Now, I'll tell you, I got better grades going forward, just so you're aware of this. And I began to get S's. We celebrated satisfactory behavior at my house. So anyway, just an amazing thing. All right, so overprotective. Here's another one. You're too permissive. Whenever you're too permissive, what does that do? It can cause anger in your child. That is, you basically allow them uh, to do whatever they want to do. If you visit this house, you know who's in charge. It's actually the child. That kind of living causes bitterness ultimately because you're not raising your child rightly. Then the last one is this. You can drive your child to be angry whenever you pressure them to achieve. I love this. John MacArthur writes it this way. He says, a child can be so pressured to achieve that he's virtually destroyed. He quickly learns that nothing he does is sufficient to please his parents. No sooner does he accomplish one goal than he is challenged to accomplish something better. Fathers who fantasize their own achievements through the athletic skills of their sons and mothers who fantasize a glamorous career through the lives of their daughters prostitute their responsibility as parents. Listen, parents, we obviously want our children to do well, but we cannot pressure them to achieve. If we do, it drives them into anger. And the Bible says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So don't annoy your kid. Now, here's a third statement. I want you to jot this one down as well because this one's huge. Uh, we want to make sure as parents that we are preparing them for a life of dependence upon Jesus. Preparing them for a life of dependence upon Jesus. Uh, and so let, let's put it straight, right? I bought an eyeball for just a moment. Whenever we talk to parents, and even if you talk to me, and you say, Levi, what's the goal kind of for parenting? Oftentimes, a part of what we say is we want our children to grow up and be independent. That's what we want. We want them to be independent. And I think you know what we're talking about whenever we say that, but I want to kind of change that just a little bit in our frame of thinking. Instead of saying our goal is they, they would grow up and be independent, let us make it our goal as parents that they would grow up and be totally dependent upon Jesus. I mean, it makes a massive difference in their life. It also changes how you look at this concept of parenting your children. Matter of fact, uh, notice what the scripture says in verse 4 again. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now, notice, bring them up. That just means to raise them. That word discipline there, it actually means the whole training and education of a child, which relates to the cultivation of their mind as well as their morals. And then we're to bring them up in the instruction. It speaks of, of giving them warnings and gentle but stern reproof. And then I love that last little phrase, the instruction, the training, the discipline of the Lord. This reminds you and I that parenting ultimately is a spiritual endeavor. You as parents have this phenomenal opportunity to invest in the life of your child to actually 
carry out the mission of Matthew 28, make disciples right there in your home. So as a parent, a mom, a dad, you are discipling your children so that they would learn to live and to walk with the Lord in total dependence. Now, just so you're aware of this, this is on us as parents. This is on Krista and I to raise our four children. It's not left up to the educational system. We don't drop them off and assume the educational system will raise them. It's also not up to church programming. So I can't just drop my kid off at Awana and cruise on and assume, okay, I've done my duty spiritually. No, no, no. There is so much more to actually investing and discipling your child that needs to come from you. You are the primary source of their spiritual development. The church is a secondary choice. Don't get those two mixed up. The church is designed to come alongside you and help you in the process of you training your child. So this is a massive calling. Now, if we're going to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, a few things we must remember. First of all, we must remember that we have to set clear boundaries. We've got to have clear boundaries. Uh, that means our children need to know what they can, what they cannot do, what is right, what is wrong, according to God's Word. So we're setting clear boundaries. And then secondly, we also need to give them clear consequences. In other words, if they are disobedient, then there must be a consequence that follows that disobedience. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says this. Listen to the Bible. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Where is foolishness? In the heart of a child. How is it there? It's all bound up. And then the Bible says, the rod of correction will drive it far from him. The rod of correction. Yes, that's what the Bible says, the rod of correction. Proverbs 23, 13 says, do not withhold discipline from a child. Can I ask you all a question? How many of you got a rod when you were growing up? Would you slip your hand up? I don't know if that rod was leather. I don't know what that rod looked like. How many of you, seriously, put your hand up. You got a beating when you were coming up. Hey, man, look at all these spank people up in here. That's what I'm talking about. Listen to Proverbs 23, 13. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. It's in the Bible. Now, growing up, our uh, mode of whooping the child was with a wooden spoon. We still got a wooden spoon, and we ain't afraid to use it. But I remember uh, we had, and I, I shared this earlier, um, but we had one of our children. Whenever they were young, they really were kind of uh, beginning to test us a little bit. Y'all ever had something like this go down? So I had one of our kids in the bathtub. They were supposed to be taking a bath. They were standing about ankle deep in the water. And I said, hey, hey, uh, you need to sit down so I can bathe you. The response came back and said, no. I said, I'm sorry, what, what did you say? I said, you need to sit down so I can bathe you. No. If you don't sit down, I'm going to go get a spoon. I'm not sitting down. I got up, walked out, went in there where the spoons were located and opened up the drawer. You know, so it's intimidating to hear them all chankling in there. And I got the wooden spoon. I walked in there. I said, if you don't sit down, I'm going to pop you. No. So what did I do? I'll tell you what I did. Pop the fire out of him. Amazing thing is, still wouldn't sit down. Boom again. 
Still wouldn't sit down. Boom again. Don't, don't. Booyah. <laughs> Can I tell you what ended up happening? That child sat down. You know what was amazing, though, from that day forward? I've had very little issue. Your children will test you. You've got to have clear boundaries. You've got to have clear consequences. And I know as they grow up, I know our children, they're going to get into their high school years. And some of you are probably thinking, you ain't got a clue. You're probably right. But Paul the Apostle didn't even have kids. I'm like, why can he write this? Things are going to change. When I grew up, man, I was being disciplined. I used to get spanked all the time. And then I began to uh, get, get put under house arrest from my parents. And I'll never forget this, right? I'd get in trouble. They'd be like, you on house arrest for however long? Some people call it all kinds of stuff. But I worked at Ecker Drugstore, and the pharmacist there used to always ask me. He'd be like, Levi, are you still on house arrest? I would say, yes, I am. There are ways to discipline your child. You cannot allow your child just to go and do whatever they want to do. And you do not worship your child by being there at their beck and call every single time they want something. That's worshiping your child. You worship Jesus, and when you worship him rightly, he will empower you to parent properly. And that means clear boundaries, clear consequences. And then thirdly, you got to be flat out laying it down with solid determination. Consistency is the key. Consistency is the key. I like it. So they need to know as a parent, you'll follow through on your word. And you think about that, right? You can't just warn your child, warn your child, warn your child, warn your child, and never actually follow through. You got to follow through. So it's like one time I'm driving the minivan. Four kids in the back acting crazy. If y'all don't chill out, I'm going to pull the van over. You, you, your mom or daddy ever said that to you? I, I will pull this they didn't chill out, so guess what I did? Pulled over. Oh, yeah, we carry a spoon in the van. <laughs> Hands on the side of the van. Pow, 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 pow. Got right back in the van. Everything was slick and fine. Now, some people are going to go out of here and be like, I can't believe they talk about spanking their children. That's what the Bible says to do. I'm down with it, man. Worked on me. <laughs> I mean, it really did. My daddy beat me so bad one time, he had to come back afterwards and ask me if I was okay. <laughs> I ain't even lying. I ain't lying. He said, son, I do this because I love you. I love you. That's why I beat you. I'm like, let me get a bat and show you how much I love you. <laughs> All right, Krista and I, four things we want our children to really have. Let me kind of go through these very quickly. First of all, I want my children to love Jesus. I want my children to know him personally. So Krista and I, early on, all the way through, we've been sharing the gospel with all four of our kids, and all four have given their heart to Jesus. So we want to make sure that they know the Lord. But know this, that's not the end of our spiritual journey with them. So it's not like they get saved and, yeah, we're good now. No, we still want to see them grow in their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I am shocked today in our culture at how parents will push their kids to do all sorts of things. They'll push them to make unbelievable grades in the educational system. They'll push them to be the greatest on the ball field. But then when it comes to their spiritual life, they're like, don't push them. Really? So you encourage a fire at them over here in all of these areas, but you won't encourage this? 
the very one thing that actually makes a determination of where they'll spend eternity, and you won't bring it up because you're afraid. I don't want to push them into it. I don't want... You need to calm down. I totally understand you don't want to push them into a relationship with Jesus, but it is your role as a parent to share the gospel and encourage them to come to know the Lord. So don't be that way. Don't be that parent. Teach them to love Jesus. Secondly, teach them to love his word. So I want my children to know and to love God's word. Uh, this means uh, as a parent, we have to love God's word. We've got to spend time in God's word. We've got to bring it to them on a regular basis. One of our goals is three times a week, we have a devotional with our family. So right around the table, we bring it out. And I'm not preaching a sermon to them. I, I got a family devotional, man. I'm just reading a verse, reading through it, asking some questions, talk about how it applies to their life. And then we're eating. That's it. But I am there. I'm trying to invest in their lives. And that's a huge one for us, teaching them to love God's Word. And one of the uh, greatest things uh, that I have the privilege to do now is uh, carry my middle schooler to, to school. And as I'm carrying him to school to ask him, man, what, what are you reading? And he begins to share with me things that he's reading in the Bible. I mean, that, that does me well because I know he's spending time with the Lord. That's the same with you. You want your child loving God's Word, man, so you love it. Which, by the way, don't discipline your child by making them copy down Bible verses. Are y'all, that was free information. Are y'all with me? That's horrible. You're teaching them that getting around the word is terrible. It's boring. I don't want to, don't do that. Love his word. Talk to your kids about how God's word applies to your life. Talk to your kids about how God's word can apply to their life. You got to teach them to love his word. Thirdly, I want my children to love God's people, to love God's people. Here's the thing. The Bible teaches you and I that we experience the love of God. Now, you don't want to miss this. We experience the love of God and we express the love of God in the context of the fellowship of the saints. So think about that. How does a person really experience God's love? They experience God's love through God's people because God's people serve them with his love. So what I want to do is make sure I'm putting my children in the context of the body of Christ so that they can experience the love of God and they can express his love by serving others. So that's a huge thing for me, man. I, I want them to be around God's people. And I would say to those at Concord, man, one of the great privileges of pastoring here is I uh, have the opportunity to put my children around many of you because you so serve, you so love. They're seeing in you an example of God's love. But that means as a parent, you've got to prioritize being around God's people. We as parents today's culture will prioritize all sorts of things with our kids. We'll prioritize traveling 400, 600, 800 miles so they can do this or that on a ball field. But then when it comes to God's people, we're like, well, if we got time, well, if it fits our schedule, we'll see. Right, what are you teaching your children in that? You're teaching your children that God's people, not important, which they translate as God, not important. I'm just telling you, man, you've got to be wise as a parent. Don't allow the culture to pressure you into its mold and be like, if your kid doesn't do this, man, they're not going to make it in life. That's ridiculous. Your kid, if they learn how to depend upon Jesus, it doesn't matter what they do in life. They've got all that they need in Jesus. So just lead them in that direction. Lead them in that direction. Teach them to love God's people. Get around God's people. Get them around the people of the Lord. And then finally, I want uh, our children to love his mission. Love his mission. Missions go and make disciples, right? So I want my children to be involved in that. Chris and I want to teach our kids how to share the gospel. 
Uh, Chris and I want to make sure that we're teaching our kids that wherever they find themselves in life, they are missionaries there. Doesn't matter what they do, it doesn't matter what occupation they have. If they love God, they love people, and they share the gospel, they are right on target with where God wants them to be. So it doesn't matter if they're a doctor, it doesn't matter if they work at the railroad, it doesn't matter if they're working in the educational system, if they're loving God and they're loving people and they're sharing the gospel and they see themselves as missionaries, it's right on track. That's what we want for them. Because the mission, go and make disciples everywhere, is given to you as a parent and you're discipling your child to do what? To go and make disciples everywhere. So when are you going to do that? See, oftentimes what we do is we say, oh, my goodness. And I remember hearing a guy say this to me uh, on one occasion. He said, well, I'll, you know, my child's only young once, and so I want to make sure they're involved in all kinds of stuff. And this is when I was inviting. They don't go to church here, but I was inviting them to church. Oh, we can't make it. I'll, I'll tell you what, Levi, we want to get our kids involved. They're only young once. Let me say something. You're right. They are only young once. And you only have one shot to invest in them spiritually. And if you miss those ages, you know, birth to 18, I mean, that's all you got, that time frame. So I guess the question is, looking at that now, if you said, okay, if I keep going the track that I'm going now, and they leave the house, what is going to be the outcome? Are they, are they going to love the Lord, love people, and share the gospel? What, if you're not satisfied with what could be, change what you are doing now to make an impact in your child's life because ultimately you're sharpening them. God says like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. I got four kids. We're going to have issues. I know this. They're going to be growing pains. I know this. They're going to be the choices that we have to make that are hard. I'm aware of that. But I want to sharpen them, sharpen them, sharpen them so that whenever they do leave the house, they leave out to actually impact eternity, push back the darkness. Growing up, biggest influence in my life was my mom. My mom used to have Bible studies at home. She would invite unbelieving women, still does it today. She'd invite unbelievers over and share the gospel with them. She's an interior decorator. She goes out, she tells me stories about people she's sharing Jesus with. This was going on when I was coming through the house. I didn't realize the impact that's made on my life. But I saw in her somebody who was always intentional to be involved in the mission. And I thought to myself, I want to be intentional to be involved in the mission of making disciples. One day, my children are going to look back at how they were raised by Krista and myself. What do I want them to say? One day, your children are going to look back at how you raised them. What do you want them to say? What you're doing today will determine what they say later. Amen? Let's bow. Father, in Jesus' name, help us. Help us all as parents to be who you've called us to be. Help us to make an impact. And God, I thank you for the parents who are here this morning, and I'm trusting that you're speaking to their hearts even now. Some changes that perhaps need to be made, some improvements. God, I pray that you'd do just that. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, everything that I've preached this morning really only applies uh, to followers of Jesus. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, can I tell you something? God loves you, but the Bible teaches that sin separates you. Matter of fact, the scriptures teaches that sin separates all of us from God. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's standard. And the payment of our sin is death and hell. That's what we deserve as hell. 
But God graciously sent his own son, Jesus, to this earth. He lived a sinless life. And yet Jesus went to the cross at Calvary. And there on the cross, he died in your place. He bore the punishment that you deserve in his own body. He was buried and raised again. And now the scripture says, if you'll turn from your sin and place your trust in Jesus, you're going to be forgiven of your sin, given new life, given purpose here upon this earth, as well as a promised home in heaven. And some of you need that. God's been speaking to your heart. And you need to respond and give your life to Jesus. So if you're here today and you need to make that decision, would you just pray something like this in your heart as I pray it out loud? Just say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. So today I'm turning from my sin and placing my trust in you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for allowing him to die in my place. Thank you for the resurrection. Today I'm making a choice to follow you with my whole heart. And with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, Levi, that was my prayer, then I'm pumped for you. The first step of obedience, remember, surrendering to him, obeying him is worship. First step of obedience for a new believer is baptism. We're celebrating that in our next hour. We've got three people we're baptizing. I wonder if you need to follow the Lord this morning in baptism. If that's the case, when we stand to our feet, we'll have a time of singing. This will be an invitation. So I'm going to invite you to come forward. I'll be here in the front. We want to pray for you. Others will be down here as well. We want to set you up a time to be baptized in the future. Or God may be calling you to join this church body. If that's the case, I'd encourage you to do just that. Father, we give you the invitation now and pray that you'd work. And that's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. While we sing, you come this morning if God's calling you.